We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. Happy February to you. We are excited to start off this new month. The trade deadline is getting closer. Miles Turner was inter- uh, introduced with his extension on Monday, so it was really cool to see. Maybe it was Tuesday. I can't remember now. My days are running together, Fachi. But we are here, Fachi, and we are here to talk with Jake Fisher and talk about some news on the Pacers. So how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I am doing great. And yes, we did get you know some clarity on Turner saying he's here to stay, which makes me feel like we could. It was el- Tuesday. Sorry, Tuesday. So we could eliminate the whole like, whoa, could he still be traded? Like, I guess crazier things could happen, but makes me feel he's here to stay. And Alex, while they didn't quite call it the special pen, that pen came out of a box that looked pretty special to me. That's <laughs> what you got to do if you're thinking Miles Turner to a two-year extension. So I uh, love the move. No, I thought it was great. And, you know, it was kind of funny because, like, they had the whole uh, PS&E there to, you know, watch Miles in his introductory press conference. And he was really happy. And to be honest with you, it was really cool to hear what he had to say. Like, I always felt like there was something special here. I've always wanted to be here. And, you know, for the longest time, we've had a hard time getting guys to stay in Indiana and want to be here. And somebody put a question out. I think it was – I forget. I don't want to say who it was. But they were asking – When's the last time we've had a guy sign a contract after their rookie extension contract was signed? And the only thing I could really find was Jeff Foster was the last person to do it. It wasn't even Danny Granger, Paul George, any of those big names. So, you know, that is that is pretty significant, I think, for Miles to do this. Even though it is a shorter year, uh, shorter deal, Fachi, it was just really cool to see, how, uh, see him uh, so happy up there. But could you believe Greg Doyle <laughs> asked if Miles was off the trade table or off, off the trade market? And Miles is like, KP, you don't got to answer that. And then Pritchard's like, that was okay. I'll answer it. <laughs> so it's yeah. it such a funny interaction. 
Uh, of course. Even when Turner signs an extension, he still can't escape the trade rumors. So, no, I thought that was great. Um, <laughs> but nice to have him back. And, and even when he tweeted out, like, Indiana, it was always you. Like, I, I'm going to be honest. Like, I might not have gotten real goosebumps, but like, I felt good inside because it was like, yes, like our very own wants us just as much as we want him. He's back. And now we could, like, not be asking ourselves, like, well, what if we had kept this team together? What if Turner had stayed? We get to see it unfold for a little bit longer because, mm-hmm. obviously, remember, Turner didn't get to play with Tyrese Halliburton last year. Now, Halliburton's missed a chunk of games. Turner's missed a couple of games. So their sample size, when they've been together, the Pacers are a good team. When when Halliburton's out, I mean, no one really looks that great. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they could do together in the second half of the season, but also what they could do together from game one through next season when the Pacers can add to this team, because you know what the expectations were coming into the year. I mean, we didn't expect to be ah, 24 and 28 doesn't sound that great, but at one point it looked a lot better than that. So the Pacers, mm-hmm. they're still in the midst of things. Alex, they're tied for 10th, tied for 11th, however you want to put it. Um, but help is on the way. Yeah, it is. And before we get there, I'm just going to say this real quick. Um, It is really cool to see how much Miles has embraced Indiana after all of the trade speculation stuff. You know, I think it's just worth bringing up because I would say go back two years ago when we still had Nate Bjorkren as our head coach. If Bjorkren would have stayed and Carlisle's not brought in and they don't make the trade for Tyrese Halliburton, I think there's about a 10% chance Miles would have stayed in Indiana and a 90% chance he would have tested the waters. Now they could have still traded Sabonis. I just think that the fact that Halliburton is such a special player, he knows how to find miles, where to get miles at in the right position. You can just see it. There's a complete culture change with this Pacers franchise right now. And I think it was starting to happen once Rick Carlisle came in and started kind of telling like the front office and, and Herb Simon and everybody like, Hey, this roster's not cutting it. We got to change it up. So nothing against the front office. I'm just saying, I'm sure they had their hands in it too, but I just feel like bringing on Rick and then trading for, for Tyrese really has shifted the culture here. And I think honestly, they swayed miles to stay here long-term. I, I 110% agree because if you just looked at how things were in the beginning of the year, I mean, look, it didn't look good. Didn't look good. Felt like Turner was either going to be traded, he was going to hit free agency, and you couldn't blame him. The man's been shopped around in rumors for for years and years. But Carlisle, what he did way differently than Nate Bjorkman is this man's a relationship builder. Mm-hmm. He built immediately, immediately from taking the job as the Patriots head coach, went out and supported Miles Turner's camp. I remember that, but before last season. And talked about how how much he valued Turner even before he was the Pacers head coach. And then, you know, the, the relationship he built with Tyrese Halliburton, it's like they've truly made the changes needed in order to, A, keep players happy, but keep them together. Keep them mm-hmm. wanting to play together. And that sense of being a tight-knit group has been awesome. And Miles being the veteran leader on this team, despite being you know right around 26 years old, to be the veteran, and I know, yes, there's like a James Johnson, but we're talking about a veteran who's, you know, in that starting lineup competing. Miles has done a great job. He's embraced it, and his teammates love him. He's seen a lot here, Fachi, that's for he sure. Has. And I think sometimes, you know, I think I think Pritchard brought this up. Like, he's seen him kind of 
watch and observe and then kind of step up into a leadership role. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's an awesome opportunity for the Pacers to get Miles on this team-friendly deal. I think it's an awesome opportunity for Miles to continue to blossom. And like he said, he's just scratching the surface. You know, this year has been a big year, but he still feels like there's more untapped potential. And like KP said, stay humble and keep working hard. That's the best thing you can do because like what happens when guys get extensions a lot of times, they kind of take their foot off the gas. I don't want to see that with Miles because he's been playing so well. Averaged over 19 points a game, 19.4 points a game in the month of January, Flatchy. So, you know, you're really starting to see him improve. But like you hinted at a little bit ago, help is on the way, Fachi, and it's in the name of Tyrese Halliburton. Fachi, Rick Carlisle today says that Tyrese Halliburton could be a go for Thursday against the Los Angeles Lakers. That's the target date. I think that's a huge opportunity for Tyrese to get his feet wet before the Sacramento Kings return to Indiana on that Friday night following. It really is. Tyrese said if it was up to him, he would definitely be out there. And there's always something about playing the Lakers. It adds a little bit of juice to it where you want to be out there. You want to give it your best. And that uh, if, if Halburn is to return against the Lakers, it will mark three weeks since he got hurt against the Knicks. I think the Pacers did a good job, you know, not rushing him back with that elbow and knee injury. It seems to be, you know, recovering very well I, we know he ain't missing that kings game regardless but even <laughs> if he's to play say 20 minutes against the lakers i do think that that would be valuable to get his feet underneath him because you know last time he was felt like he was running at 100 miles per hour against the kings kind of getting a little bit flustered um i look forward to having him back but i think about like the extra motivation that's going to give the rest of this pacers roster Seeing Halliburton out there, I, I think it's going to get everybody to feel like, hey, we can beat anyone. And and, and it, I just think it's going to raise everyone's game. And it were immediately, I think it could be even within a play or two to say, that's everything we've been missing for the past three weeks. Yeah, it, it feels like to me, if Tyrese comes back Thursday and they get a win against the Lakers, it might spark a winning streak. Because I, I think, think it could. I think the young guys will just start having this belief like, okay, we got our guy back. Let's go. We're ready. We had a rough month in, in January. I think they went 4-11 and in 15 games, Fachi. So it was rough. I mean, a lot of losing in there. It was hard to sit there and watch them. And, you know, they were just falling apart, get down big, have to claw back. And then they couldn't pull out of these games out. And they were missing that captain, the, the franchise, Tyrese Halliburton. So, you know, getting him back, obviously he won't be 100% right away. But just want to see him shake the rust off there, Fachi. But in addition to that... We could be getting some more front court depth added to the roster in the name of Daniel Tice. So Daniel Tice is a guy that, you know, nobody expected to be on the roster at this point, and nobody expected him to be out for the whole entire season with an injury. So he's come back. They've let him take his time with this process. I think that was the smart thing to do. Really wasn't going to have a lot of playing time for him as they're trying to evaluate their younger talent. But I think at this point, you might see Daniel Tice play the backup center position for the next handful of games just to get his feet wet and maybe kind of showcase what he can do returning from injury right before the trade deadline. I really do think we're going to see Tice out there. I don't think he's just going to have, you know, done all this rehab just to kind of sit on the bench. He's saying that he's fully pain-free um, and, and cited that his strength is basically pay, playing pick-and-roll defense, switching one through five. I think that's something that the Pacers could definitely use a defensive boost, especially – 
I mean, a, a, a better rebounder. And we know that that's what Daniel Tice is going to bring to the table. Also, just a veteran who's been around. He's been there. He's played in big games. I think at this point, for the first half of the season, you had, I mean, I'm not going to say Goga got a lot of playing time because he didn't, but you saw enough to realize there ain't, there ain't that much there and he ain't <laughs> going to be back. Isaiah Jackson has fallen out of the rotation at times. So I, I do think that Tice will have minutes to play. I don't know how many minutes, but I think that we will see him as a part of the rotation. I don't know if he's going to be able to do anything to get his trade value up in time. It's not like this is, you know, an all-star caliber player coming back where it's all of a sudden someone just needs to see if he's healthy or not. But I think the Pacers will get a good evaluation to see if Daniel Tice does fit into their plans for at least next season. Hmm, Interesting thought process there. Yeah. I, I still think that there's probably a handful of teams that would just like to see if he's healthy. Of course. You know, even if he doesn't stay with the Pacers past the deadline, I think they could still trade him. Just a team taking a gamble on him. But I think just being able to show that he can play and maybe play a game or two, 20 minutes a game, 18 minutes a game, whatever it is, small sample size. But, you know, you bring up some great points with his defensive abilities, his playoff experience, and his rebounding. Is this something the Pacers decide, hey, maybe we want to be more of an aggressive team and try to be more of a of a playoff team play in team do we keep this guy around to back up miles and really help solidify our rotation because we know it's been slim pickings here with jalen smith and what he's been able to do isaiah jackson same thing it's like we've seen flashes of nice play from them throughout the year but nothing consistent and i think there is this part of me that believes maybe rick carlisle once that consistent backup center on the roster just to kind of anchor that second unit so they don't have to rely on miles for 40 minutes a game. So that is something that's in the back of my mind. But at the same time, I also know that they want to take care of Daniel Tice. He's been a good, you know, guy for this team, or as I would say before, a good soldier, Fachi. Mm-hmm. Fachi. You had a you run know. with that. You did. But it's uh, it is, it's the truth. I mean, he's been a guy that's just been a great culture guy for this team. You haven't had any issues with him. He seems like he's fitting in pretty well. And honestly, like, I don't anticipate him staying on here, but I could see that being the case. I just wonder, do the Pacers lose sight of what's in front of them in terms of being like the eight seed in the uh, inverse standings trying to get into the lottery? Because that, to me, could tell us a lot in what they decide to do at the deadline. It's just such a tough spot to be in. You're talking about in the inverse standings, you know, potentially picking eighth overall. We're currently tied with the Lakers, but also uh, a couple more losses. Next thing you know, you're picking top five. A couple more wins. Next thing you know, you're the eighth seed. I mean, right now the Pacers are a game and a half back of Atlanta for the eighth spot. Um, The seventh spot, you're three games out. Really not that close to to the sixth seed. So regardless, it kind of feels like the best case scenario is that you are a playing team if, if you're talking about winning. Or the other best case scenario, if you're talking about picking, you know, in the draft, is you could very much be picking top five. It mm-hmm. is obtainable. It's just the play-in has created this situation where most teams feel that they're still in it for for longer than ever before, and I think that that's why you have this feeling of like, well, watch out for this team. They could be buyers at the deadline. I know we'll get into that with Jake Fisher, you know, later in this episode. But, man, it's it's exciting. I don't know which avenue the Pacers look 
to take because a small move like flipping Goga really ain't going to get you in either direction. You're going to stay exactly the same. So you either make a splash or you, or you probably, you know, kind of stay pat. Yeah, I mean, if anything goes like the month of January, then they're going to be on path for a, a top eight pick for sure. We we see how crazy the Western Conference is right now, Fachi, and I think that's the only thing that could be interesting is like if the Pacers stay in the plane as like the ninth or tenth seed, get that experience of playing a more meaningful game than a regular season game, you at least get a chance to see what your guys look like. So, you know, I wouldn't be upset if they were like the nine or ten seed had to travel to Washington for like one game, end up you know, losing that game or they win it and then they end up losing the 8-9 matchup or the 7-8 matchup, whoever they'd play the winner of that, they would still have the worst record than Washington if they were at 10. So in my opinion, like, it's not the worst idea to get a couple of playing game experiences just for, like, actual in-game experience when it matters. For Tyrese, who's never been in the playoffs, Buddy, who hasn't been in the playoffs, and all your young guys like Matherin, Nimhard, Ijax, see what they could do in a play-in type of situation. But at the same time, you know, you just got to hope that the Western Conference teams, it's so like they have better records and teams with 500 records or above don't end up making the playoffs. So you could still be in that top eight range. But, you know, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how this all falls uh, out and, and what the Pacers do. But speaking of going in the draft, last year's draft, the Pacers were just hitting home runs, Fachi. First round pick, uh, six overall. Benedict Matherin, their first pick in the second round, 31st pick in the draft. Andrew Nimhart, both players have been pivotal for this team's success, and they have been rewarded by being announced to the Rising Stars roster. Fachi, how excited were you that both guys made it? No, I I love it. It, It's huge for exposure for this franchise. It's huge for exposure for Benedict Matherin, who is in Rookie of the Year and Sixth Man of the Year. Um, Running, and for Andrew Nimhart, deserving 31st overall pick if you told me he would be in the rising stars game uh, in the beginning of the season i'd say man i don't know that feels like the best case scenario alex when i looked at it he was the latest draft pick to make the team at pick 31 the next closest was walker kessler at pick 22 so that's a Mm. pretty solid difference right there the rest you know uh, um other than aj griffin were all lottery picks so mm. I, I feel like that that says a lot that a guy at pick 31 made it in there. I, I think both guys were completely deserving and have been uh, some of the best rookies that this, this draft class has seen. Mm. So, I mean, what did you feel like it meant for both guys, but maybe more importantly, Andrew Nemhar, because this, this is a huge, um, whatever you want to call it, award recognition, I would say, for a guy that went in the second round. Yeah, this is a guy that thought he should have been drafted in the first round, a guy that was promised, I think, a position in the first round, and like that team didn't take him. So you had to realize he was probably a little bit upset, but getting drafted to the right spot matters, Fachi, and that's all that I'm going to say about Andrew Nimhart because had he gone somewhere else, he might not have gotten the opportunity to get some significant minutes. And at this point, he's been a starter. He's had some huge clutch moments against the Lakers, the big game against the Warriors on the road, and that got him the national attention that he needed to put his name on the map. So you got to give credit to the player, Andrew Nimhart, for stepping up big. And obviously the month of January was not a great month for him in terms of just, you know, production-wise, especially with Halliburton out. But at the same time, you expect that from a young player. And so it's exciting that he's still getting rewarded for his, you know, great success in this season. And 
you know, for Mather and obviously we all knew that was going to happen. Nobody thought that wasn't, but you know, at, at this point I was kind of like, just thinking about it. Chris Duarte made this last year. Isaiah Jackson did not. And we were kind of thinking, well, if they get a big opportunity this year, maybe they'll be in that rising stars challenge this coming season as a sophomore class, but they have fallen further and further down that draft class in terms of like, if you did a redraft of last year's 2021 draft, where would they fall? I mean, I've listened to a few podcasts that have done that and I don't even hear their name mentioned in like the top 2025. So it just stinks a little bit to see their value kind of come down a little bit from after everybody was so high on it last year. It really does. And I can't say that, that I was surprised and I don't, think i saw one person be like duarte was snubbed like i that that just did not happen because <laughs> he has not had the kind of year that that is is worthy of that and it's really unfortunate because we talked about how he kind of got off to that hot start out of his draft class which made me feel that it was like okay you know what hey duarte could end up being an absolute steal and some of the younger guys in that draft class are, are starting to rise to the top and that was sort of our biggest fear when you take an older player over the likes of you know there was a couple of guys uh, like uh, Trey Murphy is someone that got named to to the, the sophomore team and mm-hmm. Quentin Grimes and Bones Highland and Alpern Sangoon and, and just a lot of good players and even like Jose Alvarado which a lot of people didn't expect in that draft class to be as good as he's been Dorte I do think has played better lately but by by no means was he a snub. Unfortunately, he was rightfully left off, and it, it hurts me to say that. Yeah, it's a bummer, but at the end of the day, I think we're excited for the two rookies to get their shine, and hopefully we have some more representation at the All-Star Weekend, Fachi. I'm pulling for Buddy Hill to make the three-point contest. I think it just should be an automatic lock leading the league in three-pointers. Fachi, come on now. That's ridiculous. He should make it. I don't know if the the, the three-point leader has ever not been named, but I'm wondering, when are they going to come out with the list of guys in there? Because it would be a crime if Buddy Heald was not on that list because this is his time to get some of that recognition that he mm-hmm. deserves. Because when you think of three-point shooters, I mean, all you need is Steph Curry rolling out there for the majority of people to be like, Steph Curry's going to win this. And I would love to see Buddy go toe-to-toe with Steph and take him down <laughs> on the on the biggest stage no, that, that he could be on right now. Yeah. No, I would love to see that too. And then, of course, we want to see Tyrese Halliburton in the All-Star game. I think it's pretty much a lock. I would be absolutely, like I said on the last episode, we talked about this, Stone Cold stunned if he is not. So, you know, you said you always love a good Stone Cold love reference. It. So Of course. Yeah. So, I mean, we're just kind of waiting, holding our breath. That'll be announced Thursday night. The reserves will be. So, be interesting to see if Tyrese does make the team. I would be kind of shocked if he doesn't. So, uh, we'll have that update for you on the Thursday night podcast that we're doing, but uh, might be, be a might be a solo Fachi episode on that one or that segment because I will be out of town during that uh, when that happens. So that's a, that's a bit of a bummer there. But you know, other than that, you want to take a quick break, Fachi, and bring on Jake Fisher. Let's bring on Jake. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-Month Emergency Food Kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com all right, everybody, joining us on Setting the Pace, he's no stranger from Yahoo Sports. It's Jake Fisher. Jake, what's going on, man? How you doing, guys? Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely, man. No, we're, we're glad to have you. So I guess let's just start things here. Miles Turner getting that contract extension with the Indiana Pacers. You know, there had been some reporting that, you know, this was in the works. But, you know, I think it was even in your report that maybe some executives were a little bit skeptical that this was going to happen. So, you know, were you surprised by this at all? And, and what does this mean for the Pacers now moving forward? Yeah, at the beginning of the talk, let's say, that Indiana and Miles were um, having extension conversations, people definitely were wondering if it was kind of a front, right? Um, when he had his previous representation at BDA Sports, they never really broached any extension conversations. But uh change of agent with CAA, I mean, that's definitely part of that agency's MO to try to find uh, an extension before a contract expires. And the fact that Indiana had all this cap space to front load the deal, it, it did seem like if Miles was open to taking some form of contract extension rather than reaching the open market, which was what he was saying all along, right? I'm sure Pacers remember the word entering the season was that no matter what happened, he was interested in testing the market. Um, so clearly uh, his first opportunity next to Tyrese Halliburton after, you know, he was, he was injured throughout that whole stretch with Halliburton coming back uh, for that uh, big DeMontis Sabonis trade, obviously this time last year, he's, playing the center position unencumbered that he's always wanted to in Indiana. And I, I think for a while now, everyone's kind of been under the impression that that this type of extension would, would get done. It was more about uh, the length, I think, than anything else. And the fact that it was a two-year deal, I think, was a little bit surprising. Hmm. I think it was. I think this is a home run extension for the Pacers. I think a lot of Pacer fans were surprised that you know Turner might have left some money on the table. I know that 
Pacers were able to get crafty by giving them that $17.1 million um, you know, increase for this season, which other teams could not you know, pay them right away. But what were you hearing maybe around the league as to what Turner's market could have been if the Pacers were electing to trade him? In terms of teams or in terms of what his salary price would have been? In terms of what the Pacers would have been able to get back in a deal involving Miles Turner. Yeah, you know, I don't think they would have gotten back anything more or not much more than what Aaron Gordon got Orlando uh, two deadlines ago. And even, you know, that was the price that Detroit was holding up for Jeremy Grant for the longest time. They wanted two first round picks for him at this time last year. He only went for one first round pick. So other teams who were interested in miles, like the Clippers got mentioned a lot. Toronto's definitely had interest in him over the years. Charlotte's been mentioned just to name a few. I mean, I know New York, um, Minnesota looked at Miles Turner um, before they went and got Rudy Gobert last summer. I don't know if any of those teams would have been willing to put on the table more than like one first round pick and, and some type of salary match in return. So I'm not so certain that Miles was this giant trade chip that, that would have kind of held up the deadline market here and he would have had all these lists of suitors trying to get him, especially right now seems like most teams in the center market, they're looking at backup centers. You know, we're talking about the Clippers and Portland and Brooklyn and Boston has that uh, conversation as well. And you hear names more like Mo Bamba and Jackson Hayes and Rashawn Holmes, not necessarily that like starting level $30 million player. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, the Pacers, because of this move and, and Tyrese Halliburton is supposed to be coming back against the, the Lakers on Thursday. It's still like, what are they going to do at the deadline? Because, they have pieces that could sell off. They have, you know, pieces that maybe they could use to to buy. So from what you're hearing, there's been a lot of names thrown around with the Pacers. OG Ananobi is one of them. John yeah. Collins, another. What are you what are you thinking the Pacers are going to do here at the deadline? Do you think there'll be more buyers or more sellers? I think in an ideal Pacers scenario, they'd be both, right? They'd be selling off long-term money of uh veterans that aren't necessarily uh, in the middle of this role, like if they could find a great deal for Buddy Heal, I think that would be, you know, a win for Indiana, right? He obviously was just a salary matching uh, piece coming back from uh, the Kings, and I think he's been a you know a favorite. He's been a favorite over Carlisle. Shooting's obviously super valuable, but he's not realistically fitting into the long term plans of this team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think power forward has been a position that the Pacers have looked at for a long, long time, and so. All those names, John Collins, OG Anobi, even like a Jared Vanderbilt. I think the Pacers will definitely be looking at any type of bonafide younger foreman uh, that could slot into the starting lineup and potentially start to build like a core four here of Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin, whichever this foreman is. And then Miles Turner uh, recently locked up the extension we talked about. So I'm going to keep it on Indiana, uh, but I'm not necessarily under the assumption that they're like, out there like we have to go buy someone like i don't think this is an exercise where there's we're going to wake up on february 15th and the pacers definitely have a new starting power for i think it's when they're looking at but i don't think it's like an absolute goal that we're just waiting to see which guy they end up going and getting no it's a very valid point i think the pacers have set themselves up where they could go many different ways they could be sellers they could be buyers they could remain pat they have draft picks coming in they got cap flexibility in the offseason so we've set ourselves up to be in a good spot but one of the names that you mentioned og ananobi and we recently we heard that the suns are interested the knicks are interested but we also heard that the pacers and pelicans are interested 
There's been that rumor out there that three first-round picks has been offered for OG. I can't confirm or deny, but what do you feel that the asking price is for OG, and how available is he? I don't think he's available right now. I think they're listening. Toronto's mm-hmm. listening to virtually everyone on their roster aside from Scotty Barnes, and I, I don't think they're really listening on Pascal Siakam either. Um, but if you call Toronto right now and say, hey, we're interested in OG Ananobi, the rappers will say, all right, what are you going to put on the table, man? So any notion that like they've decided to change tune and they're now all of a sudden listening to calls, that's been the case since December. It's just a matter of all these teams that want him, they're waiting and hoping that the rappers will actually move him. So is he available? Right now in this moment, I, I would say he's not. I would say that that could change and teams are hoping that could change. And one way it could change is if teams – put those three first round picks on the table um but i mean in terms of price yeah the dejounte murray benchmark of three unprotected picks or it was two unprotected and a swap forgive me for not uh having the exact valuation off the top of my head but it, you know three, three first round picks was definitely um you know the benchmark there for dejounte that i think um the rappers will hold uh in a similar light for og but they also want you know, as much as they can get, like they're not going to stop at three just because that's what the shot, like if they can get four, if they can get three and the, and these types of players, like they're going to hold out for um, the highest offer. And I think it's been pretty clear that Toronto has done a pretty masterful job of drawing up all this interest in their players and, and making it seem uh, <laughs> like they could be, you know, dangling these, the top players that could be moved on, on the deadline because now they're getting all this access and all this, you know, all these incoming calls that allow them to really understand the board and sift through all the different scenarios that could unfold. I think it's been strategic from Toronto's end. That That is very smart. We know that Masai Ujiri is a mastermind. He's pulled off some really good trades there for Toronto. And, you know, staying here with the Pacers, obviously, because it's what we the team we cover, Chris Duarte has been a, a name that's been mentioned, I think, Gogo Batadze as well, and, and we know Daniel Tice does not really seem to be a long-term piecer for the Pacers. So out of those three names, have you heard anything on their front? Maybe what is their trade value amongst the league so far right now? Yeah, I mean, Duarte's value is obviously the highest. Tice, I think, they've been they've been hoping he comes back uh, you know, healthy for a while now. I remember when the Pacers were here sometime early in January, maybe mid-January, um, I remember hearing, oh, he's like close. And now we're in February and he's, we're still hearing he's close. So um, <laughs> who's to say exactly when he'll really return on the court? If he has a, a definitive date and it's come out, I apologize for not uh, seeing that. But no. I still think it's kind of been talked about as an upcoming thing, right? Yeah, it's, Scott Agnes put out that he could come back this week. So yeah, could so be this Thursday or against the Kings expected this week. So we're definitely closer than we have been before. But he's not someone who I think is going to – come back and play three games with a deadline, all of a sudden there's going to be a ton of people lining up to go acquire Daniel Tice, right? Maybe. I mean, if only. I mean, the, the backup centers we talked about earlier, he's one of the only guys that I think will be on the market that's played deep into the postseason. And he was the starting center basically on the Celtics team uh, that reached the Eastern Conference Finals uh, down in the bubble. So, like, he's got legitimate postseason uh, experience. So I, I could see – some contender looking at the backup big market and thinking this is the guy we go and get, but I don't think that's that that likely. Goga, I think, is 
going to end up being more of like a throw-in type scenario, not to be uh, dismissive of, of his talent and his upside. I, I do th- think something like him plus a bunch of second-round picks like the Lakers offered for Rui Hachimura is the type of deal that maybe he could get moved in. With Duarte, you know, he was super, super good a year ago, right? And just the injuries that have piled up that have limited him a bit, um, the fact that Tyrese and Matherin are just the real backcourt of the future now in Indiana. That's kind of, I think it's more of like a Indiana recognizes that he could be their blue chip prospect to go send for an OG on an OB, to go send for someone who could really raise this team's ceiling higher. So I don't think he's like someone who, like Bones Highland in Denver, I think is more of like a, um, the, the Nuggets are looking to use him to go get um, something or, or someone or the fact that like him and Mike Malone are exactly clicking personality wise, what have you um, with Duarte. I think it's more of like uh, the Pacers are dangling to see what he could get. Not like this is the guy we want to send out. Yeah. yeah there's a few teams with a ton of draft picks. I mean, the Oklahoma city thunder, you got the Knicks, you got the Pacers, you got the jazz. And then there's also a ton of teams without picks. And there's also teams that are valuing younger players or teams that are just valuing draft picks. What seems to be that common theme out there of, hey, if teams are looking to sell, they're really looking for either young players or they're looking for picks. Is it one or the other this year? Um, I mean, everyone right now wants draft capital. Maybe that's just a ref- – I think it might just be a reflection of the fact that Rudy Gobert went for five, DeJounte went for three, and now the market's kind of out of whack. Um, but there aren't – really a ton of teams that are just like putting up our asking price and saying like, we want this and if you don't meet that like we're done i think everyone's just looking for value so i i mean the younger teams the developing teams the rebuilding teams i, I think even those ones like we're talking about indiana they weren't supposed to be in this position to go um you know shopping here for upgrades the orlando magic i don't think are just like trying to sell off veterans and get draft picks back i think they're keeping an eye on how they could add to their group houston rockets too like they're look they've looked at john collins for example like there isn't exactly a clear buyer seller look across the aisle let's just have a marriage here situation i think you know draft capital will always help you know lubricate deals um but it doesn't really seem like anyone out there is just like looking for picks back besides the jazz the jazz are the one team that very clearly wants future draft capital they have valuations on their guys um, where they want, um, you know, those things back. But then again, like, I know that they, they checked in on Dorian Finney-Smith and they've been linked to John Collins. Like, even they're kind of looking at um, at players as well. So it, it's it's kind of like a fluid situation, I think. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And, I, and I've heard the Jazz are, are looking to sell. They're not losing sight of their plan. And that's kind of what I was wondering what the Pacers were going to do. Are they going to lose sight of their plan that this first year of the rebuild and try to make the plan? But but who really knows with that? I'm, I'm more so curious – is there a name or two out there that really hasn't been brought up in in the last couple of recent cycles that maybe you think could be a surprise person that could be moved to the deadline? Well, I mean, there always can be a surprise. Like people weren't like ready for Demontis Sabonis to get dealt, right? I think yeah. it started to hear some inklings about that and about maybe exploring a sign and trade for DeAndre Ayton this time of last year, right? But wasn't really like fully expecting him to be uh, on the market this year. I mean, if like Zach Levine became available, I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be shocked, right? Mm-hmm. There are plenty of teams that are interested in him. The Bulls haven't met expectations, but 
outside of that, I mean, most teams are just they're looking to get better. Like the majority of the overwhelming majority of the league, you know, 26 teams are looking to get markedly better right now. And you don't do that by by moving a big name. So, you know, we could see something crazy where, you know, starters get swapped for starters, like D'Angelo Russell gets sent, you know, in some capacity for, you know, another $30 million player or something like that. But I'm not expecting there to be like a real banner name moved. I think this is going to be, you know, I mean, OG Ananobi, if he got traded, would be by far the biggest name. I think John Collins would be by far the biggest name. We could wake up on February 10th and Jay Crowder is the biggest name to get traded. So that wouldn't exactly be like a like a marquee big ticket item. Man, that would be a letdown because, you know, the trade deadline is like a borderline Christmas for some of us fans. So, uh, you know, I read last year, there was about 58 players overall that were traded. And this year, it just feels way too quiet. So you'd like to think a storm's coming. But, um, you know, you talked about John Collins a couple of times. He appears to be available. We've heard his name kind of shopped around a lot. The value on John Collins or the asking price seems to be lowering and lowering. What do we? What is your gut feeling on what could get a deal done for John Collins? I think the Hawks are primarily focused on trying to find defense in addition to Trey Young. You know that was a big element to the Dejounte Murray trade—the fact that he could be a defensive backcourt partner, but also, uh, you know, the the idea was that Dejounte would be a little bit, you know, on ball and allow Trey to run off ball and get him cleaner, better open looks on catch and shoot opportunities. That hasn't exactly worked out so well, but um, the goal is, I think, I mean, I've been told the goal from the Hawks is to, you know, use John and his offensive ability to try to find more defensive uh, reinforcements. So, you know, if they can find basically any combination of players that are going to be veteran playoff tested, you know, true role player contributors, And I think we could see a deal for John Collins, but um, they're not going to move him just to move him. That's been made very clear. So uh, they really do need to find a deal in order to get something done. All right, Jake, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm going to give you like four names and I want you to kind of give me what you think their trade value is. So I'll just go one at a time so I don't confuse you. But we'll start here first. Obi Toppin. I think Obi, some team would give up a first round pick, something equivalent of that to give them an opportunity. There's definitely, um, I mean, there's there's support for uh, even people in New York who want to give him more opportunity to run around and dunk Mm -hmm. and shoot. So I think someone would take a shot at him. He'd be an interesting four man for Indiana to look at too. Yeah. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, the Jazz certainly value him as a first round pick. I don't think, um, I don't think so many other teams do. If they did, they probably would have already traded him already, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's definitely a thought that um, his metrics aren't exactly as good as his, um, his eye test would suggest. Offensively, he's obviously very limited, but the Jazz value him as a first-rounder, that's for sure. Okay, two more. K.J. Martin with the Rockets. K.J., I think the... Curious thing is that he was a second round pick, um, and his contract situation is a little more um, unresolved. In that he he will be probably looking for a bit of a hefty salary, you know, sooner than later. Um, but he's got upside. He's got real, real upside. I, I think honestly, of, of the three players you guys have talked about so far, um, depending on what a team's appetite is to pay him, I think he probably has the most value of those three. Okay, interesting. And then the last one I have is a little bit of a wild card here. Uh, Jonathan Isaac, is there any value out there for the Orlando Magic power forward? 
I'd find it hard someone would trade something of significant value to, to he's just such an unproven commodity at this point. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, it does, does kind of strike me as a wait and see. I think he's only played about three or four games this year, mm-hmm. and that's you know after missing quite a few years since dating back to the bubble. But a player that we all still remember the potential that we saw in the bubble. So I don't think anyone's going to make the move yet, but curious to see what happens in the offseason. Uh, I'd say yeah. one of my last questions is just going to be if there's going to be one team that's likely to kind of hit the reset button at the deadline, what's your gut telling you? I mean, reset in terms of like they 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 sell off and they rebuild. Yep. And Toronto is the best bet, I think. I, I'd be surprised if, if Chicago does decide to quote unquote blow things up. I've been told it would be more with an eye of more of like our shakeup and and, and still the goal of trying to compete right now. So um, I think Toronto has shown the biggest appetite for like truly, truly rebuilding. Awesome stuff, man. Well, I guess my last question to wrap it up here is who do you got winning the Super Bowl? <laughs> Let's go, birds, baby. <laughs> love the picture of yet the game. I was laughing, so I said, I gotta, I gotta throw a little of a love there for your Eagles. I really am not a fan of either team, so uh, I guess I'll root for the Eagles just for you, man. <laughs> Appreciate I'm, it. I'm so over Mahomes, so just get the get the job done. You know, hey, go birds at that point. Go birds. Thank you, guys. I appreciate hey. the love. Jake, before we sign off, please tell everybody where they could find you at on social media and some of the awesome content you're putting out because this is the time to be following Jake right now, everyone. Thank you, man. I'm at Twitter at Jake L. Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. My call-in show does twice a week um, on the call-in app. Follow me there um, to find all that information. And that's about it. Yeah. Awesome. Jake, definitely appreciate you coming on. Feels like, you know, we're doing this each year, and I hope to have you back on again. Sounds good. Take care, guys. All right, Bachi, that was a good one there. Always enjoy having Jake Fisher on from Yahoo Sports, previously with Bleacher Report. Um, He's been doing this for quite a bit now, and I believe it was Jake Fisher that reported that T.J. Warren went out of Indiana a couple years ago. So, you know, had requested a a trade once the uh, Nate Bjorkman hiring happened and TJ Warren was like false or whatever. I was just started laughing, but you know, Jake Fisher, Jake Fisher's, you know, he's started there. That's kind of when I really remember Jake Fisher, like getting super big during that year, 2020, 2021. And he's just really, like you said to him off air, he's really elevated his game and he's doing a great job. I had to give Jake his flowers because it's true. I mean, this might be the third maybe time that he's been on our show. Like, feels like it's like a once a year type of thing. And, you know, he is getting better and better scoops. And we're, we're seeing his name attached to far more rumors than in the past. And it's uh, it takes a while to really gain credibility. I mean, we've talked about the difference between uh, Sam Amico and and, and uh, I'm blanking on another Sam guys. Amick. Sam Amick, yeah. How like one <laughs> is just not credible and one is, and and it's uh you got to be right a lot of times in order to be credible in the rumor in you know the rumor game, the rumor industry. And, and Jake's definitely put in the work. Yeah, for sure. And I and I, I liked his insight on what's going on. I like that he said the Pacers could be both buyers and sellers. So kind of puts you in a spot where you're just like, okay, let's see what happens, but. Like you said, there are no rush to make a drastic move now, and they, and they shouldn't be because they're going to have $40-plus plus million in cap space projected next year. So they've got a lot of flexibility, and like Kevin Pritchard loves to say, optionality. So that's the smart thing to do. He said he wanted to add more picks at the beginning of the season, so let's see. Does he want to stockpile more picks? We'll keep an eye on that, but I think 
We're about a week away, Foch, so everybody's getting really excited to see what's going to happen. And even if the trade deadline is a little bit boring this year, it's still exciting to see transactions no matter what they are. Absolutely. I'll be checking the weather report because a storm's a brewing. Oh, All right. Oh, it, oh yeah. So it's getting it's getting oh, cloudy so with the bad. chance of trades. Yep, it's coming. Oh, this is getting oh, worse. Oh, it could get worse before it gets better. But I will be checking the rumor mill because I need <laughs> trades. I need them. Oh, this and- is so cringe, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> hey, this is what happens <laughs> when you make it to the end of the episode. So, you know, Alex, I've had a blast. I, I really do look forward to seeing what happens around the league, even if it's not the pay. It's just fun to discuss. It's fun to see how it shakes up the league. And you know, we hope that our Pacers are involved. And look, last year we had no idea they would make the splash that they made. So you just got to hang tight and just hope for the best. Absolutely, Fachia. So um, go ahead and let people know where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenMBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Yeah, you guys can check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash setting the pace, a Pacers podcast. Make sure you subscribe, like our videos, and let us know what you think in the comment section. We love hearing the feedback from you. And I think we get a lot of feedback already. So it's awesome just to see the fans that are listening to the show, watching the show, giving their input on our takes and stuff like that. So continue to do that. But Fachi. If you're begging the NBA to put Buddy Hill in the three-point contest, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team.